Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on February the 8th, 2022. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, in his hazmat suit, Caffeine Rage. On today's show, we will be, of course, discussing the games that we have played recently. Gaming industry giants continue to consolidate their oh. holdings. How are you Hello. Hello there. Um... Yeah, I'm alive. It feels like you should have a Scottish accent whenever I'm muffling my voice like that, though. In, uh, yeah. The yeah. Dark Knight. Yep. You merely adopted the darkness. I was born to it. My, my bane. It's not very good. Uh, it sounds more like a bad Sean Connery. Which, to be honest, even Sean Connery was doing a bad Sean Connery there towards the end. <laughs> I wake up in the morning and I piss excellence. I miss Sean Connery. God rest his soul. The the first man I ever had a crush on. Anyways. Uh, well, that does explain uh, yeah, uh, him shuffling off this mortal coral. It's <laughs> to get away from you. He found out about it? No. Anyway, speaking of the mortal coil, I'm still on it. I uh, I survived the, the COVIDs. They ran rampant through my office and then my house. Um, it was not fun. But here we are on the other side, mostly. I are still you saying have... COVID's no joke. Co- no, COVID is no joke. It's not very funny. I'm just I'm making a face. You can't see my face, but I'm making a face. Oh, don't worry. I'm glad I can't. That's fair. That's fair. But yeah, that was uh, an adventure. Um, thanks to both you and to everyone in in my life and circle and that listens to the show, who was very gracious to me as I was a very tired boy. And it's still like hitting me a little bit. Like last night I did not play tabletop games because I sat down for like 15 minutes. And then I was like, yep, I'm not moving again. (laughs) Not till tomorrow. Unless I really have to go pee. And then it's, do I really have to get up to pee? I mean, mean, you know, do I really have to? Nah, probably not. It'll be all right. But uh, yeah, that's been my last week and a half, two weeks. Uh, and it's still going in other parts. Uh, my mom has it right now. So two, two somethings for that. Have mixed feelings. If someone wants to find out more about those. Feel free to hit me up on Discord or Twitter or whatever. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not saying a thing on this one. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I'm I'm. One subject that I'm probably going to not talk about on an open mic, per se. Uh, although we did miss t- hearing or talking about, like, live when it was happening. That Who was it that Joe Biden called a stupid son of a bitch? Oh, it was a Fox News reporter. Yeah, 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 yeah. We missed talking about that when it happened, because that was last week. Yeah, do, do you think inflation's going to be uh, an asset? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Oh. No. I mean, this is also the same reporter that McCain also uh, went into. Yeah, I I didn't remember that, but I saw, you know, I saw the 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 articles going around. You know, like remember this? Remember when uh, McCain was like making fun of this guy for being a big dummy? 
I was not interested in politics then, so no, I don't remember. But I watched the video and I had a good chuckle. Yeah, and I also remember McCain becoming a big dummy by his running mate choice, or you know, allowing that choice to happen for him. Yep. But to but to be fair, no matter what, he was not the biggest dummy in that relationship. Oof. <laughs> no, no, he wasn't. No, she was just a harbinger of the things to come. Yeah, I it feels it feels so weird to be like, mm, remember the good old days when when Sarah Palin was the biggest thing we had to worry about. Like, haha, she's kind of dumb and she makes weird jokes about guns and magazines. And now, <laughs> and now, oh boy, now political wish- discourse as yo a unruly mob storms the Capitol. Yeah. Uh, political something a a quote as the dipshit republicans some of them have said a valid form of political discourse a valid form of me just face palming all the way to an early grave how about a, a valid form of games we played oh yeah there we go you did it you saved us rage tell me about the games that you or game that you played yeah uh it turns out not so saved. So I played Evil Genius 2 World Domination on Game Pass and ooh, kind of wish I didn't. So the first Evil Genius, it was early 2000s, I believe. Okay. Now, now I need to double check that one. It is, well, it still is, but it was a management game where you are an evil genius. I think 60s era Bond, thinking, uh, mentioning Sean Connery, uh, and you are an evil genius, bent on world domination in tri- uh, 2004, uh, mid 2004. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, bent on world domination, and you're building a layer, trying to keep essentially under the radar till you could unleash your dastardly evil scheme. Uh, evil genius. Has that in common? Only somehow they made it boring. And it's just disheartening. It's one of these games that feels like they played the original but didn't understand what made it fun. And one of the things that made it fun was the Rube Goldberg-esque traps that you could build up. Where, you know, you could have the shark tank. No freaking laser beams, but... uh, You could have freeze rays, poison darts, and have it where... Uh, you know, a giant fan would uh, knock somebody down a hallway uh, into a uh, a freeze ray that would f- freeze them solid for your minions to just pick them up and carry them off to jail uh, to interrogate interrogate them. But they time lock it. <laughs> they time lock all the damn research for all the traps. They have it where the schemes to fund your evil research or your evil uh, schemes. Each one is an hour long. It plays like a damn mobile game uh, on that aspect, where in the original game, they were pretty much just one and done. Uh, They would uh, go off, do the scheme, and if it succeeded, it was pretty much it, if I recall correctly. There was no passive income of sending minions off uh, to go for an hour and then 
you know, a few hours later having to go uh, run another multi-hour scheme uh, to uh, balance out heat to uh, prevent uh, agents from showing up. But the thing is that even running fast forward, it just takes so damn long for things to happen. Yeah. It's the same problem that uh, Dungeon Keeper had on mobile where it the time scale of everything just felt so absurdly long. Uh, research takes forever uh, to unlock uh, stuff. And because there's so much stuff locked behind research, you either have to be on, you know, like playthrough two or three to even have an idea of what to expect, or you're constantly redesigning your layer because, oh, well, now I unlocked this upgraded thing. I have to tear down the entire control room and rebuild it. And when I tear down the control room, that pauses all the schemes. And if they're paused for too long, they fail. And I have to restart everything. I have to, uh, uh, I upgraded, uh, uh, the cantina to feed all my minions. Well, I can either build another one to uh, supplement the first one or, you know, completely redesign that. And it's just, tedious yeah and it just feels like they lost all the flair to it you know yeah and this is mind you after they fixed the game when it launched it had an abysmal uh just loading issues it had abysmal bugs so it's functional but it's just kind of dull yeah i've never played the first one um, I love the look of both of them. Like they look, you know, neat. Like they would just be a lot of fun to to mess around with. Being, I would say, uh, go back and play the first one. The first one does have its issues as well. The first one, uh, it has some wonky game design, and also there's a difficulty curve that if you're unprepared for it, uh, it could be rather brutal. Okay. Uh, so the idea of it is that, uh, take them as, you know, your James Bond esque uh, super agents are invincible and could always get away unless you exploit a weakness to them. Okay. Okay. And uh, in Evil Genius Two, in order to do that, uh, to yo know, take one of the super agents off the map uh, and defeat them for good. You have to go down what they call side stories. But you can only have one side story active at a time. And there's, I think, half a dozen uh, super agents. And as you build up uh, an amount of heat by building up your uh, network or your criminal networks, you can have multiple agents active at a time on the world map. And if you complete a scheme while they're watching the world map in a particular region, they'll attack you. Right, but because the world map is so damn passive, you don't see them moving around or know when a a, a scheme is about to finish until it's too late. I th- I think part of it is just the fact that the game is so bad about telegraphing what information that you need. So, yeah, I mentioned you know having to rebuild multiple parts of my layer like uh one uh thing that is 
it, since you're an evil genius, you know, you can't just have a bank account. You have to have a vault somewhere to keep all your liquid assets, right? Yeah. So in order to do that, you have to have pallets, uh, pallets of gold in a vault. Well, it, in order to have the money to pay your minions, you also have to have a certain amount of money. Well, they, each pallet of gold could only hold so much money. So you could expand your vault, expand your vault, expand your vault. But eventually, you're going to unlock something that is better than a pallet of gold bricks, somehow, right? But the but there's no simple way to quickly rebuild everything, and all the minions are on a cycle of every 10 minutes you have to pay them out, and depending on the amount of minions you have, uh, there's... Uh, a base minion, which is just your worker minion that does a little bit of everything, but not particularly good at it. Then there's muscle, scientist, and deception minions, each of which uh, focuses on a particular style of play. And the more of each minion you have, and there's also different degrees, so like in muscle, there's uh, your typical guard minion, which is a simple, essentially just dumb muscle. Then you have a mercenary, which you unlock uh, after a while, and which is better at uh, muscle-related tasks, but can only guard and uh, you know, do basic uh, things uh, along that along the area. Yeah. Uh, so security-related stuff like manning camera. Uh, 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 security consoles, that sort of thing, to keep your uh, uh, your views up on uh, your base. But the thing is that if you're upgrading your vault and that 10-minute timer happens to take over, which, mind you, you are not in direct control of your minions. You could make suggestions <laughs> on what to do, but, you know, it's just, you know, whatever the minions end up doing. Uh, you can have a morale problem because you miss a payday. <laughs> Which happened to me a couple times because I was in the middle of a redesign, or and there's no really easy way to pause a a design because you can't plan out everything and then just yeah say okay build this layer. You have to have a valid blueprint for uh, it to be submitted. So you can't yeah you know, plan out everything on like a floor of your base, which is that's one advantage of the new evil genius over the old one is that it's mo you can have multiple floors uh, i think five plus a basement which are unlocked in progression based on the amount of research which the amount of research you could do is based on the amount of story that you could do uh, because after the second tier of research if i call correctly you need a, a, a secondary specialist uh, scientist to unlock that research uh, there's just, like I said, there's a lot of interesting things going on, but the game just communicates so poorly. So you'll have it where there's an icon flashing on the, uh, on, uh, you know, like floor two. No idea what it does. You click on it. It just takes you to the floor and just, uh, shows you, okay, there's something here that you need to pay attention to. What? No idea. Uh, the game will, uh, say, uh, okay, well, you're running out of power after you submit a design to, uh, you know, 
upgrade a room somewhere else. And won't uh, warn you that, oh, uh, by the way, this design uh, will uh, take your power duration uh, to zero. Until you've already submitted it. Because the warnings are all queued up to a certain degree. And if certain things are firing off before that, it will not you know, tell you more important things. Because, right? Right. And this is all on top of you know, trying to keep your base secure. So every so often, especially after you start working up a criminal empire, uh, uh, the, def- the forces of good will send uh, investigators to you know, see what's going on. Because you know, you're on this abandoned island uh, running a casino as a cover uh, operation. Well, the investigators always know exactly where your base is, you know, the entrance to it. So you're just constantly getting bombarded with a trap has been sprung. Uh, yeah, uh, there's investigators in the uh, base. And, you know, and it's just queuing up so many things going on that it's adding more important information about what I need to know, right? Yeah. Which, I know, it sounds like, oh, investigators uh, are uh, snooping around. That's important to know. Well, yeah, but they're always snooping around. They always are. It's just, like I said, uh, this is coming from somebody that was a fan of the first one. And that might be part of the problem is that, you know, I know that the first game is so much more enjoyable, or at least in my opinion it was. It's been a long time since I played the first one. But there's just so much annoyance going on. And this is on top of having to just run absolutely massive like generator rooms because the game unlocks advanced text so slowly and there's so few advanced items on top of it. So there's three, maybe, generators that you could do. But remember, you don't have direct control, and it takes time for things to uh, swap over. So if you're building a new gen- or you know, upgrading an old generator room, your base is going to be vulnerable for quite a while because all the minions are going to go through and uh, deconstruct everything. Then they run off down to the helicopter pad, pick up the new generator, bring it back, then put it down, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's just, like I said, there's a lot of frustration and there's a lot of information that could be given a lot better on top of just a sluggish, sluggish pace for the entire game. Right. It, it feels like, and this is probably just because I'm playing the base game and not the oh, what, the season pass version, because of course there's a season pass that has another go. Yeah, several campaigns and uh, different additional side stories that you could do. There are two um, free DLCs that are actually Valve-related. But I ended up screwing myself over on that one because it doesn't say, oh, yeah, by the way, make sure that you have this when starting the story. And mind you, once you start a side story, you cannot back out of it. Which is irritating as fuck. I started the portal side story. And suddenly 
I needed a lot more prison space than I had previously with no warning whatsoever. So that meant I had to completely redesign a level of my lair. And I just gave up on Oh, as I, my kid. And I just gave up on it at that point because I just couldn't be bothered. Well, that sucks. I mean, it sounds like the game, very broadly speaking, is missing a lot of uh, quality of life features from certain tooltips or providing information to the player, as well as giving them options. It kind or of hell, is like I just uh, be able to click on the alert icon and see where it's trying to draw my attention instead of taking me to a page of alerts, <laughs> right? Yeah, because that's that's the one thing is that. Uh, it says, yeah, uh, you know, your, uh, your henchman is, uh, fighting someone, which you have minions, which are kind of, you know, think, you know, uh, despicable me, you know, your yellow guys, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have henchmen, which are, you know, uh, think, you know, like Jaws and James Bond, right? Okay. Uh, you know, high level, very powerful, uh. Uh, but one-shot henchman that, you know, if they die, it's game over for them. It will say your henchman's fighting someone, and you click the icon uh, for the alert. It just takes you to the page of alerts. It doesn't take you to the fucking henchman. You have to do, like, three or four more clicks on a completely different area uh, to get to the uh, henchman page to, you know, be able to scroll to them. And it's just... (sighs) Why? Yeah, so a, a rather large lack of quality of life, sort of common, mm-hmm. air quotes, common sense features, like clicking on the alert, taking you to the alert, but it doesn't do that. Like, Yeah, it takes you to the page of alerts that gives you the master list of all the things that's going on, but if you click the alerts there, it still doesn't do anything. Yeah. Which is also why, and also, you know, uh, a big complaint of uh, Evil Genius 1 was that the world domination screen, you know, the world map, was so passive, and they made it more so. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's just uh, it, that you could set it up for, uh, you know, and have two or three hours of gameplay before you even have to worry about it again, because your evil... Uh, uh, yeah, uh, crime networks all provide passive income as well, and uh, they generate passive heat over time. And once you get to a certain threshold, depending on the tier of uh, of criminal network going on, uh, the area will go into lockdown if that happens too often for a particular flavor of the five forces of justice. I think it's five or six. Uh it'll generate a super agent uh, that will start roaming the map. But like I said, yo, you have to go to it so in often that I actually had uh, something happen that demanded my attention on the world screen, but there was no alert for it because, like I said, it was queued up for something else. And that's the other thing, is that some of the sad stories start drawing more attention to the world map. But it goes from hour-long missions to, okay, well, you have one minute to respond to this while having to try to manage your base and do everything else. So it goes from one extreme to the exact opposite, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It it just feels like it needs some some more uh, spin and polish. Right. 
and on, and honestly, probably a little bit more content because, like I said, it, you go from the the research tree is just so barren, and uh, it does uh, yeah propagate on some things from uh, the side stories. But then, whenever you're researching the side stories, you're stopping your primary research because you can only research one project at a time. Never mind the fact that you have an entire wing of scientists, right? It just doesn't make you feel like an evil genius. It makes you feel like an adult. <laughs> well, that sucks. That's like the worst thing that you have said. It doesn't make you feel like an evil genius. It makes you feel like a big old dummy. Mm-hmm. All right. Well. Uh, I'm going to talk about a game I've talked about before, but it's new DLC. Um, MechWarrior 5 Mercenaries, The Legend of the Kestrel Lancers. This is the, supposed to be the second and last, like, big DLC for MechWarrior 5. There's supposed to be a couple more small ones, but, um, it had been announced by PGI that the MechWarrior 5 dev team, most of them were moving on to work on the next project. And there were just a few that were working on like final patches and updates. There's some files in the game that suggest like a future DLC for like the Solaris, uh, like gladiatorial arena. Mm-hmm. And then maybe a couple of other things that have been in MechWarrior online sort of being dropped into MechWarrior 5. Um, uh, what about fun gameplay? That's Legend of the Kestrel Lancers. Um, it, so the, my biggest problem that still has not been resolved by any of the official DLC is that the Mech Lab still sucks. Uh, so you got to go to mods for that. But as far as gameplay goes, Legend of the Kestrel Lancers makes MechWarrior 5 feel like a complete game. And I hate that games do this. I'm not giving it credit for like, oh, I guess it is now a complete game. You can yeah, go buy it. Like, the, yeah, that's kind of the problem, I think, with Evil Genius as well. Because it, it took two ma- massive DLCs to make the game feel like a, a complete whole game. Because the, the storyline in the base game is terrible. It's barely a story. The story missions themselves are fine because they're you know, much more scripted than the random stuff that you find while you're just wandering the galaxy map. Um, Legend of the Kestrel Lancers is like a full-blown multi-mission campaign. I mean, it makes it makes it feel like an older MechWarrior game. Um, it makes it feel like, you know, MechWarrior 3 or 4 maybe um, that had the, you know, quote-unquote linear story campaign but that there are a few options and a few bonuses and a few things you can get on the side. But once you start the legend of the Kestrel Lancers, like DLC, like it pops up on your map, um, as like a, a contract and you get some lore, um, and sort of the explanation for what the mission is. And it's like, all right, if you accept this, you're along for the ride until it's done. So make sure you're prepared before you start. And it gives you some basic recommendations of like, you need X number of mechs and X number of pilots. And you need to have like this level of tonnage for your mech drops. And then you're good to go. And it's in total, it's 17 missions. Um, There's three. And then there's a little bit of a break. um, And then there are 14 more that make up this uh, linear campaign that you're in. And they're all... Um, bespoke custom missions. None of them are relying on the uh, random 
generation. I mean, there's a couple of the same sort of like mission types, you know, I mean, the basic mission types are there, like defend a thing, destroy a thing, recover some things. What about stomp on a thing? Stomp on a thing. Oh, there's a lot of stomping on the things. But you get taken to unique maps as opposed to them being the randomly generated maps for all of the levels. Um, There are new unique characters with unique dialogue um, and things like that. Like it feels like an actual game as instead of like an afterthought bolted onto, you know, the like a career mode where you can just like go explore the Mech Warrior universe. And it's a solid Mech Warrior game. There's a, you know, an end couple of antagonistic characters you make uh, have some allies that with some you know mission options of like go to a or go to b and you can get different mission results based on it which thing you do or how well you do and how many bonus objectives you complete i mean it's an honest to god single player story campaign Um, it only took them how long three years two and a half three years better than star citizen Better than Star Citizen. Um, so, I mean, that's great. It feels like playing Mech Warrior 3 or 4 from a story perspective. Um, they've made a lot of small improvements and added things that they had promised way back in the base game. Infantry show up in certain missions um, to harass you. They've added city maps, like actual city maps. You know, in the base game, there is a, quote, city which is like, you know, a few city blocks of buildings out in the middle of nowhere. But these are actual city maps. Either they are massive maps that have the outskirts of a city and then you can wander into a city or they're just maps that take place within a city and the whole map is is city block fighting. Um, They've adjusted the base AI and base weapons and and things um, to make them feel better i don't quite know how to say it any other way than that like most of the for example in the base game the ballistic weapons are weird um they don't feel like cannons they feel like you're just like lobbing they feel like odd like 17th century like cannonball type things with like really low speeds and really weird ballistic arcs um they haven't fixed that but they've improved a lot of the missile weapons and the way that missile lock-ons work um and your lance mates are smarter by default. I mean, all this stuff is better with mods. So the whole thing of like get mods oh, and do you that. Mean you is... don't have to completely outfit them with one type of weapon now. No, you don't. They still really struggle if you put them in something that's like a fire support mech. They still haven't figured out how to keep their distance to make full use of like long range missiles. But at the very least, they will, as long as you set up weapon groups for them um, ahead of time, you can mix and match and they will they will do pretty all right. Um, generally speaking, it's better if you, you know, give the quick commands to attack or defend a certain location. But even if they're just like tagging along with you um, they they do a better job. They, they've tweaked the spawns, spawn rates. Um, so that you're not completely swarmed by vehicles in every single map, every single time, um, which is good. Because, I mean, I could fight, you know, a lance or two lances of enemy mechs, no problem. But it's the constant, never-ending stream of vehicles that, you know, would spawn and make a beeline for your location. Like, they change the way that the spawns work, so that doesn't happen 
anymore most of the time. There's a couple of game, a couple of maps and a couple of game modes that it kind of happens, but there's no more infinitely spawning enemies. Um, there, it used to just be an infinite spawn unless it was one of the missions that had a predetermined amount of enemies. But now every map has only got so many sort of resources that they can deploy, and there are spawn triggers for them. If you get too close to a certain area, then then they'll spawn instead of it just being like a constant, never-ending swarm from off the map. So missions feel beatable on the higher difficulties without resorting to completely like cheesing the game's AI or internal systems. So, you know, it only took them three years, but they finally created a game that feels all right on its own. Still better with mods. Um, I played it for a while in the base game to just kind of check it out. And then the newest version of the Merc Tech mod dropped, which is the big um, big overhaul mod that I personally use. There's a, a couple others out there. But what it does is that it copies over the Mech Lab from MechWarrior Online and uses those hard points. So you get a lot more mech customization. You can actually change out engines. What's known as being lazy in development. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, you know, it, you... you can change out your max engines and your max structures so you can actually treat them more like how you can in the tabletop um, and in every other mech warrior game that has existed where you can customize your max. Um, so that is good uh, because that's still like the biggest issue I have with the game is that you can't customize your max enough in the base game um, with the weird way that mech warrior five does it slots. Merktech adds a bunch of other stuff too, um, tweaking difficulty options for vehicles, spawn rates. Um, it uses, uh, what does it call it? Tabletop ammo management or something like that, where that you actually have to buy and replace like ammo for all of your weapons. So you're you're you even though you might have you know two tons of ammo on this thing, like when the bins run dry, if you don't have any more in your ammo stores, then you got no ammo. And I I kind of like stuff like that because I've been playing a lot more of the tabletop, you know, in the last year or so with Mega Mac. So I like having you know persistent ammo and persistent armor damage they have to repair. It's got a system for increasing or decreasing the quality of your mechs. Like every time one of them gets cored out, it's quality rating drops until you take it to a, like a refit facility and, and restore it. Um, which I, I like stuff like that. You can turn all of it off in the mod. If you don't want any of that, it's got a bunch, bunch of options for rescaling. It's got a, a sort of a more quote unquote, realistic volumetric scale. I kind of like it when things are weird and the mechs are like comically too big. I, I like that, but you know, you've got options for stuff like that. Um, it overhauls the ballistics weapons, changes up the talent tree, like imports a bunch of the AI fixes that some other mods like standalone have fixed. So two thumbs up. Love the mod. Um, one thumb up. Legends of the Kestrel Lancers makes MechWarrior 5 a, a decent game. Congratulations, you added a campaign. You Yeah, congratulations, you added a campaign. Um, I a think campaign. <laughs> yeah, I think probably the best way to play it because it like pretty like it, okay. So there are multiple starts you can do for career mode, um, and there's one that specifically starts you at the on the legends of the Kestrel Lancers. I if you want to play it 
and you've played the game before, import one of your other saves, because you can do that. When you start a new career mode, you can import any campaign or career mode playthrough, and it gives you all the mechs and all the money. You lose the pilot skills, and and your pilots, like you have to uh, recruit new pilots and train them, but you get all your mechs and all your money. Play a playthrough, get a Lance of Assault mechs, then start over with the Legend of the Kestrel Lancers. That's my recommendation for how, if you want to play it. Um, it's a doozy. The first six missions are pretty doable with any loadout. And then it very quickly is like, nah, dog, this is a war zone. Like, some, mi- some missions later on do benefit from running a lighter lance, but you're in a fucking war. <laughs> so you, like, th- sometimes they call you out to be the, the tip of the spear. And if you don't have a lance of assault max, you're fucked. So I think I, I would have been screwed over if I wasn't using the mod, which, uh, you know, adjusts all the weapons and, you know, yada, yada, all the granular details that let me be able to sort of outmaneuver the AI. But if you're playing this base game, you definitely would have been fucked or I would have been. So anyways, uh, wait for it to go on sale and buy like a bundle on Steam or something that's got the whole thing for like 20 bucks. I think that's the sweet spot for where this is at. Um, unless you're like a mega fan like me, in which case you've probably already played it and probably like it. So yeah, that's that's it for, for games that I played. At least for this week. I, I could put more, but keeping it even. You did one, I did one. So yeah, ready to move on to the news? Uh, I guess so. Uh, take a sip of tea, which is no longer hot. It's very lukewarm now. Mm-hmm. Um, our first news topic of the night, which is kind of a, a you know editorialized conglom- or amalgamation. Gaming industry giants continue to consolidate their holdings. So, um, yeah. Uh, well, not in the last week, but the week before, Sony announced that, hey, they're buying Bungie, right? Yep. Which is interesting. Um, you know, we, we talked a couple of weeks ago about Microsoft buying or try, you know, in the process of, of buying Activision Blizzard. Yeah, which they're on FTC review now because, right? Yeah. Um, but anyways, you know, this... Game companies, big companies in general, are, are always buying other smaller companies to, you know, get something from them. It's increase their own size, buy a piece of technology, or to acquire the rights to something, depending on what industry you're in. So gaming companies buying other gaming companies is pretty normal. I mean, you know, we've joked for years about EA in its graveyard with all the companies it acquires and then shoots and pushes into you know, the big uh, ditch that it's dug. But uh, a company as big as Microsoft buying a company as big as Activision Blizzard on the heels of buying another really big gaming company, Bethesda, is, you know, that's that's shots fired across the industry. And there have been, in, in some of the circles that I you know, visit for gaming news and things, conversations of of Microsoft becoming gaming's Disney um, and starting to buy up all of the the companies and all of the properties to have them all under their roof. I don't know if that's totally accurate, um, but I do get the sentiment there. 
of like, this feels like a different type of acquisition. And Sony also, you know, an international massive conglomeration that has its hand in many different industries. Um, most of them in the tech space, not all of them, but most of them in the tech space, but obviously Sony is not just a gaming company. Um, you know, they have their hands in all kinds of computing applications and chip manufacturing and the music industry. And yeah, but Sony's also very fragmented on that one. Yes. But, um, you know, so Sony, like Microsoft's move, recent moves here, I are enough, I think to have your other sort of giants in the industry taking notice, maybe even shaking in their boots a little bit. To me, this feels like a symbolic move. Bungie is not the development studio that it once was. Um, Certainly they're making money. I don't want to imply that they're like about to go under or whatever. I mean, I guess anything's possible, but they seemed to be doing all right. Not with Destiny 2 still ongoing because, right? Right. But Bungie, you know, was famous for being the Halo developers. Uh, I mean, they have done, they did other things before. They did things other than that before they moved on to Destiny. But, like, Halo is what Bungie, I think, will always be known for to most uh, people. Uh, sorry. I, 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 I wanted to get the Destiny 2 numbers right now. Yeah. So, uh, Destiny 2 numbers right now, as of recording, uh, peak today was 62,532. The reason why I'm chuckling is that it's between Team Fortress 2 and Wallpaper Engine. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Um, but anyways, this, this, this feels like something that's more symbolic to me. Sony being like, okay, we're going to announce this because, you know, we don't want Microsoft to get, to feel like they're, you know, getting too big ahead, right? Like we're still in this game, you know, this used to represent you and now we're going to own it. Like you better watch out. Like that's what this feels like to me. I could be wrong. Um, but that, that's the sense that I get from it. Also, it's, and boy, this can uh, sound wrong, but let's go with it anyway. Uh, a Western company being bought out by a Japanese company. There's going to be a big shift in corporate culture. Yes. Probably. I don't know what Bungie's corporate culture is, but I would imagine that it would change. I mean, I just... Uh, I I know this is an old example, but I'm I just think of all the infighting that the different branches of Nintendo have has had over the years. You know, Nintendo of America versus the Japanese head, right? Yeah. And whenever you are looking at a, a corporate culture with a vastly different culture behind it, buying out a company from a completely different continent. I can't help but wonder, you know, just how much are they going to have to change things? Right? Yeah. No, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I um I don't know how I feel about all of this. On the one hand, in the short term, all of this sort of positioning and acquisitioning and you know, posturing will be good for the consumer. Or the but short I think, term, at least. But yeah, but I think in the long term, we're going to wind up with a gaming industry that looks very much like the film industry. You're going to have a couple of giants, or maybe like one sort of monolith, and then a couple of, of giants underneath it. 
and they're going to own and run everything. And it's going to be even worse than it is now for like stale game design and shitty business practices. Basically waiting for the Disney to arise, right? Yeah. Which you brought up uh, before recording that Microsoft is getting there, but I'm not 100% convinced on that one because honestly, if I had to say one right now just by sheer size and, you know, Reach Tencent. Yeah, Tencent's massive. Most of their holdings, as far as I know, are in the mobile space, but that doesn't make them any less of an of an industry giant. I mean, honestly, EA is really falling off. They, yeah. They're doing their own thing, sure, but you know they've had a massive bundle or a bungle on the latest Battlefield. Uh, the Sims is still ongoing. And yes, yes, I know. FIFA is absolutely massive, and their sports games are absolutely massive, but they're also stale. You know, that's a captive audience, as is The Sims, and right? Yeah. They've kind of got those markets locked up, or, or mostly locked up. And I'm just looking at the EA. Uh, uh, on the show notes, there's going to be a chart that was originally posted on Reddit uh, for Microsoft uh, Take-Two uh, the Embracer Group, EA, Tencent, Sony, and Ubisoft for their holdings, also known as the Skittles bag of uh, 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 Rockstar <laughs> flavors for Take Two, the Ubisoft uh, uh, blank uh, uh, for Ubisoft, right? Yeah. But I'm looking at EA. I'm just thinking, how many of these are just name only? So. Maxis is pretty much just by name only attached to the Sims. Popcap. Pretty much name only. Uh, Codemasters is focused on a handful of racing games, and that's it. Dice and Sledgehammer is going back and forth on Battlefield. So right? And uh, Star Wars. They've gone back and forth oh, right. on a couple of the Star Wars games. I can't remember which ones, but... I mean, there's well, not many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't remember which studio is where. But, yeah. Um... Yeah, Tencent, like you said, has got a lot. Focus so does in the Embracer area. Group, which I had never heard of Embracer Group uh, yeah, until I yeah, saw this. Yeah, this is a this is a holding company. So right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and they also have some historic names like 3D Realms, uh, Deep Silver, THQ Nordic. Um, trying to think of uh, see another one on here. Gearbox? Did you say Gearbox? Yeah, Gearbox is on there. Sorry, it's further up uh, than what I was. I mean, it's just yeah, some historic important, or at least for the PC uh, uh, area uh, gaming companies. Yeah, so but, you know, Microsoft, this chart is already including Activision, Activision Blizzard and King in Microsoft's holdings. Um, But, you know, Microsoft's got Bethesda, they've got their first-party studios, Treyarch, Obsidian, Activision, which, you know, or, sorry, not Activision, Turn 10. Um, like, <sighs> Microsoft is, is making is making some plays. I mean, we, we talked about this last time that, you know, we, we talked about this briefly, that Microsoft buying an Asian, you know, prob- probably Japanese, but generally, you know, just an Asian developer or two, or publisher or two, 
would be sort of the only thing that I think it would need to really sort of solidify that idea of like air quotes, the Disney of gaming. Assuming of course that like I mentioned that the corporate cultures don't clash and they ruin the company. Right. That's true. That's true. That has to. Because imagine if they bought uh Capcom, I think was one that was uh, considered on the table. Imagine if they bought Capcom and just ruined it. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, but, uh, uh, Square Enix, and the culture of just didn't uh, com- uh, weren't compatible. And well, can you really ruin Square Enix at this point? <laughs> no, uh, it, it's like uh, sour cream, uh, uh, short of uh, yeah, some sort of uh, bold growth. Can it really go bad? Oh, what if bought Konami? Uh, hey, I thought we were talking about gaming companies, not Blachinko games. You're right, but still, that would be. That would be a trip. Bot could not be a break, a kicking and screaming back into gaming. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'd be okay with that. They bring him kicking and screaming back into the gaming sphere. Or just buy out Kojima, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of interesting uh, yeah, situations of what if. But yeah. I think Microsoft is also very... Hesitant to try to build up a monopoly because, yep, they've been there before. Yeah. And not that they're hesitant about building one up because they don't but, want it, but, you know, they don't want to accidentally poke the bear. Yeah, they did that once before with Aaron Explorer. They know better. <laughs> yeah. Or you would think at least, right? You would think they know better or that they think that they could get away with it. Right or, they're, or, or they're going to be more shrewd about it. Yeah. But regardless, I mean, every great once in a while, the sleeping, you know, slumbering giant that is the uh, uh, SEC wakes up and bitch slaps somebody and then goes back to sleep. It's like, oh, I don't, don't forget scratches its ass first. Right. Scratches its ass and bitch slaps somebody and then goes back to sleep. So Microsoft probably doesn't want to be made the example of again. Yeah, which like I mentioned briefly is that the FTC is looking at the, or reviewing the uh, Microsoft acquisition of Activision Blizzard. So we'll see how that one plays out as well. Yeah. And they're expected to close it in the uh, Microsoft's year, fiscal year of 2023. So it won't be done this year. Probably looking towards the middle of next year uh, yeah. for that to finish off. And then, you know, the flood of games to come to Game Pass, right? Yeah. I want to I wanna talk about that a, a second, My, Microsoft's acquisition. Beyond what we mentioned earlier, like short-term, good, long-term, almost certainly bad for, for the consumers. I think Microsoft will come in and in an attempt to gain some good PR, will clean some house. I don't think they'll completely clean house. And even if they did like people like Bobby Kotick and other like high level executives, like they get their golden parachute. So Mm. to them, they don't care. I'm sure they don't care. Or if they do, you know, the, the huge ridiculous stacks of cash, you know, will, will be comfort for them. Right. But I imagine that, that Microsoft will come in and do, 
some reviews and some audits, and there will be some firings and some improvements of in, in corporate culture. Microsoft has got a pretty good track record for having diverse um, people in management, you know, women, people of color. Um, I don't know how well they do on LGBTQ representation, but I remember last, I think it was last year, they released a thing that was like, check out our diverse executives. And it had their, you know, executives for each of their departments listed. And there were, you know, it was pretty evenly split between men and women. And like I said, you know, persons of color, like Microsoft tries to make a big deal out of that. And regardless of whether or not, you know, how much of it is for show, I do think that there will be some improvements to the Activision Blizzard corporate culture. Well, considering the what we've heard about Activision Blizzard, yo, that's a low bar for improvement. Prop, yeah. I mean, you're not wrong, but also, like, I, they, they will not get justice. I don't want to, like, yeah, I don't want to sound, like, too negative, but I'm just being realistic here. Like, those, the, the people abused and affected will not get justice. Because the justice that they would get would be, you know, a, a type of restorative justice that doesn't happen in the United States and probably rarely only happens elsewhere in the world. You know, executives going to jail, being stripped of their cash and their power and being given to the workers. Like, that's the most restorative justice that those people could get. And that doesn't happen in the United States. Every great once in a while, there's a big thing that happens that looks like it's restorative justice. But I'm old enough now and have paid enough attention to notice that, like, you get the big headlines of, like, so-and-so awarded $10 million. And then you read in the article below, it's like, $10 million was the initial award. However, the the judge knocked it down to $3 million. And then the lawyers got their cut of $1.5 million. And then the taxman came and got his cut. And then the person was left with $50,000. And it's like, you know, $50,000 is not nothing to normal people, but also it's a far cry from restorative justice. And I feel really bad for those people. Like, I would love to bitch slap Bobby Kotick all the way to jail, but that's that's not going to happen. So corporate culture improvements? Yes, probably. Maybe even some high profile like firings and things. Thumbs up. But at the end of the day, like these people are going to be swept under the rug, and I hate that. So there, there's me being a downer. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> Whoa, now let's let's cool it. I'm being a downer, not a moron. So, anyways, do you have any other thoughts on either of these two topics, or sort of any? Not way really. In- I mean, I think we've pretty much covered this one, at least for now. There's obviously going to be more information about this because, yeah, these are two long-term acquisitions. So, yeah, we're probably looking at, you know, this time next year is when it'll probably be coming up close to finalized. Yeah. So, yeah. So, speaking of long-term acquisitions, how about long-term, you know, told you so. Yeah, um, I'm getting hit with it being like, disable your ad blocker, and I'm not going to do that. So give me a minute to to find the, or to, to look up the Google cache version of the page. 
Yeah, so Stadia reportedly being deprioritized as Google forces, or sorry, focuses on selling the streaming tech to third parties. I mean, Google has a track record of being a little ADD, right? Yep. Google, 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 Google is the tech version of EA. They buy out things. Uh, usually for the tech behind them or for the talent, with no interest in the actual, you know, product. Yeah. While Stadia is their own product, it's still that sort of culture going on, and they get bored with it when it doesn't work immediately. And yep. Yeah. Uh, I remember when Stadia came out. I think it was that E three. Uh. They had so many ads on uh, E3 talking about the future of gaming is Stadia. Turns out, no. <laughs> nope. Nope, it's not. It's it's interesting to watch as to, to immediately abandon the headline and the article for a moment. I'll I'll come back to it, but to abandon it for a moment. Um, it's interesting to watch how over the last couple of years since Stadia was announced and competitors sprung up like how sort of game streaming technology has evolved in these couple of years and it really hasn't gone anywhere it seems to be that in the last couple of years that that you know phone gaming has circled its wagons for the people who play games on primarily on their phones and Everyone else has said, no, I don't think I want to do this game streaming thing. I'll buy X device. It'll be the Switch, or it will be one of the numerous PC handheld uh, devices that have sprung up over the last couple of years. You know, it's if I, if I want to take my gaming portable, I'm going to buy a portable games console or a portable, you know, gaming PC experience. See, Steam Deck. Um, yeah, yeah, Steam Deck is, you know, a lot of the review embargoes are starting to come off on Steam Deck. Linus Tech Tips put theirs up. Interesting things. Uh, I haven't uh, gotten to watch uh, the actual video of it, but someone did a teardown of the Steam Deck, uh, one of the development models. I'm yeah. not sure if it was Linus or what. Uh, I just saw it pop on, up on Reddit while I was doing my news sweep. And, all right. Yeah, I know. I know Linus has done one. I I don't know if that's the one that you saw because I've seen several show up on my, you know, tech and gaming YouTube feed. I, I haven't watched any of them yet. I I want to, but I haven't had just. I just haven't had a chance. But um, yeah, it seems to be that the PC gaming space has instead of going for drain, game streaming, gone to that. And I have so many. I mean, this is all speculation. I have no evidence for any of this, but I think that the markets that this primarily is being pushed in, which is the the United States and Europe, Europe is a much more big mixed bag than the United States, but a lot of European countries are in the same, the same boat with the U S and having like really shitty internet and unreliable internet access in anywhere. If you're not in a major metropolitan area, um, that, that the consumer in the areas that these, that these are being pushed to are, are saying like, no, we can't depend on the internet in our area to support game streaming. So we will instead pick other portable options if if we can't be at our desk. Um, laptop gaming still e- exists as a market. 
and I know people who still have primarily gaming laptops, but I think there's been an interesting divide pop up between the traditional desktop folks and the uh, handheld PC market, the the handheld gaming PC console thingies, whatever you want to call those. It's it's neat. Um, I I I thought. I mean, I, I we both said this in the beginning. Stadia and other streaming services are never going to work in in countries like if you're primarily marketing them to countries like the United States, the UK, um, uh, France, other you know those sorts of European countries that don't have good, solid, reliable internet. It's never going to work, and you know because the backbone um infrastructure isn't there for it to work and that seems to be kind of playing out in the quote unquote hand of the market because people I mean, aren't remember, interested in streaming i remember on live it had the same problem where it was ahead of its time because you know people just didn't have the internet connection for it yeah which i'm not sure who actually bought the tech from on live it might be google actually yeah I I mean I think that there's a lot of of applications for improved streaming technology for a lot of stuff video streaming game streaming productivity tools um that we're going to continue to see I think just in general computing a shift towards more cloud-based applications like very intensive cloud-based applications for video editing photo editing um, other intense computational projects, um, uh, you know, any any type of industry that needs to crunch a lot of data, we're going to see a lot more shift to towards cloud based applications for those, which are going to require, you know, improvements in streaming technology in some way. Um, and so I think that this is going to be an industry where, where that type of tech, or, or this is going to be a sector of the industry, rather, where that type of tech gets spread around and they're going to find sort of, you know, weird, unconventional uses for different types of things. It's like, oh, this really streamlines our data or this type of compression is, you know, really useful for X application. Like, I think we're going to see a lot of that stuff come out of this. And who knows? Maybe one day we'll all stream video games to our whatevers, you know, our future cell phones or future tablets or whatever, you know, maybe. But I do think that, that the technology will see other applications. Just, it ain't here, Chief. Not in gaming. Well, also, one of the primary problems is just the fact that, at least in the United States, it's yeah, so goddamn big, right? Yeah. You're looking at needing, at minimum, four major uh, data centers, and that's just going off you know, time zones. If you yeah. try to go you know, major multi- uh, uh, metropolitan areas, you probably need one for the northeast, one for the southeast, one down in the Texas area. I mean, let's be honest, we could probably skip the Midwest. And I would say probably two on the west coast. Yeah. If you're wanting decent pings, and I actually found a uh, Google Cloud Platform Network test, and I'm actually running it in the background right now. So, uh, just seeing latencies, I'm getting my best one right now is 
a 50 ping uh, to a data center. And this and Stadia is run from their cloud platform network. From a few of their uh, different uh, data centers. So getting 50 to 75 pings with an outlier being... Oh, there's a, a 125. That's nasty. Where are you looking this up? Uh, this is from, from Cloud Harmony uh, spreadsheet for Google. I'll uh, uh, send you a link to this. Uh, it automatically starts running in the background. So, okay, and this is pinging all the Google uh, Cloud Storage centers. <laughs> okay, let's see what I get. Oh, there's one that has a nasty jitter on it. I am queued. Yeah, it. Takes it a moment to get going, and some of the tests are actually failing as well. Uh, but the the main thing people focus on is the uh, download requirement as well. But you're not looking at the latency. None of these games that they focus on are you know games that don't really require you know slow reflexes. They are you know action games. They're shooting games. They're driving games. Things that a ping of a hundred starts to really add up because you're not just dealing with the latency of from you to the server and having the server determine what happened. You're also happy to have that feedback loop. So it's every single decision is delayed by the overall ping. Yeah. Which, if you start to have a hiccup, or you are on a data server that data center that is iffy, like uh, Google Cloud Storage uh, West Three, which I realize that's the West Coast, but eh, right, where I have a nasty jitter on it, and it, the ping goes from ninety one to uh, two hundred twenty five. That's going to make the game unplayable, no matter how much you download you have. Yeah. Oh, mine's mine's running the first on the East Coast. It failed Cloud yeah. CDN. What is that? Yeah, clouds, uh, Cloud CDN uh, failed across the board for me. I don't know exactly what that is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I got 75 milliseconds ping for West 2, 97 for West 4. Yeah, uh, Southeast is way down the list. Then you have, like, Asia and Europe as well. But, yeah, this gives you an idea of, you know, right? Just how varied it is. Yeah, so I got 42 on East 1, whatever, you know, wherever East 1 is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, which mine is a little worse, so I'm pretty sure you're closer to it. I wonder if East 1 is, like, Atlanta or something. Uh, Possibly. I mean, there's 110 pings on this as well, so... Uh, yeah, just running in the background. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna let it run. Uh, it's we, it's running them out of order. The first three or four ran in order, you know, left to right, but so it didn't run the ping for Google West, Google Compute Engine West. Doom Barrel, especially on the subreddit, that's like, oh, I should have never bought into this. <laughs> Probably not. And Although I, I it's a weird I, catch twenty two, like if more people had bought into it, it might not be dying. But 
it would have to be a good service for more people to buy into it. And it's like, you know, you run into that problem. Yeah, I'm just sitting here looking at the Stadia Pro uh, lineup as well. So, mind you, Stadia is also a store. Yeah. And it's not, its primary focus isn't a Game Pass style Netflix of gaming, which might be part of the problem is that, you know, you're expected to go in and buy into uh, their architecture and then stream it, right? Yeah. So you have uh, Stadia Pass, or sorry, Stadia Pro, which is essentially your Game Pass, but honestly, there's not a lot here. There's Darksiders 2 and 3, Saints Row 4, uh, The Life is Strange Remasters, and then you start getting to stuff, oh, sorry, there's Control, but then you start getting to stuff like Paw Patrol Mighty Pup Saves Adventure Bay! <laughs> right. Or Terraria, which is often down to a dollar on PC. And I think it goes down to five bucks on Switch, but that's also the Switch tax. It's just, it might just be the case of, at least for the pro, where's the big draw, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, as, and as scary as some of the streaming stuff is. I really think Stadia had the wrong approach to it as well. You know, having the model buying the game and then, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the, honestly, I think Game Pass does it be, uh, better where, uh, yes, it is a higher tier uh, for Game Pass. Uh, you have to get the ultimate version. But having the entire library streamable, or, you know, what's available streamable, I should say. Um. Uh, Having that instead of buying in individual titles, but having the option to buy in, uh, it feels better for the consumer. Yeah, it's better for the consumer, and I mean, and honestly, it makes it just makes more sense that the, the it, Netflix it, style of pay mm-hmm. the thing, get access to the entire list, like that's good value. You know, again, I expect it to go away. Whenever Microsoft buys all of the studios, but until then, good value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I'm still chugging away on uh, pinging all of Google. <laughs> yep, so am I. I'm about, um, I'm about uh, two thirds of the way done. I've only. Ooh, that was terrible. Google North. Oh wait, that's Asia. Okay, Northeast Asia. I was like, oh my god, my ping is two fifty four to Northeast Asia. Um, I don't have any lower than 42 at this point. Which is the U.S. East 1C, whatever, wherever that is. Um, mine to U.S. East North C is 52. So. So probably slightly closer to you. Probably. Or maybe I just got a little lucky on, on my or, packet. It took a shortcut. Or whatever you know, jumps it does. It gets to the uh, to faster internet quicker. Yeah. But yeah, it's just not unexpected. It'll be interesting to see just who gets the streaming technology and see if they actually apply it to YouTube as well, because that'd be nice, huh? That would be nice. All right. Um, yeah. I don't know. You got anything else to add? Uh, no, just hanging in the background. 
Uh, So uh, time for a quick star citizen update. Right. Time for a quick star citizen update. So what it's saying is the last uh, download and update is 66 gigabytes. Um, Last one as in the last one to download or the latest. Yeah. the, The latest one. Let's say that the latest one. So that puts it at uh, 80-ish gigs. Yeah, uh, yeah, I was about to say 80-ish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, almost 90. It was 15 or uh, or 16. It was 16 for the base game. And then version 3, uh, ver- excuse me, version alpha 3.16-1 is, uh, or was, 66 gigabytes. Wow. It's got 54 left to download because I've got it throttled pretty hard. Yeah, it's almost like you're recording something. Almost, almost. Um, so, yeah, we had one uh, submission this week by Jim. To oh, our- and you just went robotic there for a moment. I see. Okay, you're better now. Okay. Um, what was I saying? Oh, we had one submission this week from Jim. Um, to our submissions and suggestions page on Discord. Uh, yeah, which this one feels more it's up your alley. Uh, using some psychology from uh, spying on players, essentially. Yes. So I didn't. I haven't read this. I skimmed it before we started recording, and I'm skimming it again now. Do you have any thoughts while I collect mine? I mean, it's not exactly surprising that there's such a focus on grabbing metrics for essentially building a better mousetrap. Figuring out, okay, well, players like to do this thing. Uh, They use the example fishing on there, which I feel, you know, made an example of. You feel called out? Yeah, feeling a little called out there. (laughs) Uh, And that uh, players that like to set and grind and do particular uh, actions uh, gravitate more towards this style of gameplay, which this style of gameplay gravitates more to this behavior outside the game. I mean, it's not exactly surprising uh, that they're using all this information, especially as they point out so many companies make it clear in their reams of user license agreement that honestly nobody ever reads. Yeah. Because if you were to read all your in user license agreements, it'd be several weeks of stuff. Never mind the fact that, you know, everything that you have installed on your computer. Yeah. So nobody ever reads it. But they make it clear that they're uh, gathering all sorts of user stuff. So they're basically trying to figure out exactly how to uh, sell you uh, uh, yo, uh, that new shiny NFT. Yeah. So, okay. So I had a, another quick read through it and gathered gathered my thoughts. So data collection and I'll say processing and analyzing is interesting. So as someone who has done as part of like my college curriculum, working on my master's degree and stuff, I have done research and put together a couple of research papers. I hated doing it. It's not my thing. But that gave me a lot of insight 
into how research is often done. And when you collect giant data sets like this, you can get all kinds of weird correlations. Um, you know, for example, one that I remember from when I was in school was that in uh, it was it was it was somewhere in Mexico. I, I'm just gonna say Mexico in general because um, I don't remember like where it was. But there was like this city in Mexico that if you owned There's a, a toaster, city in Mexico, yes. But but if, that if you owned a toaster, you were more likely to um, not have children. And, you know, that's a correlation, but correlation, as we've so often heard, correlation does not equal causation. And the actual cause for that was that in this particular city in Mexico, if you owned a toaster, that meant that you had enough money to afford creature comforts, like a toaster. And so you were more likely were to be... the toaster. Yes. No. You were more likely to be educated, and therefore, by the relative standards for the the location and the time, because I think this data was collected in the 80s or the 90s, um, you know, you were, you were more likely to be, like, educated and working sort of a quote-unquote white-collar job, and so you would be putting off having children till later in your life. So having a toaster didn't mean that it that someone was more likely to be infertile or whatever. It was an indicator that someone had a little bit more wealth relative to the space, right? Well, it depends on if they proved they're drunk in the toaster. Yes, how how well it fit into the slot. Um, so th- there's this thing called p-hacking, and I don't remember what the p stands for, for, for data. But essentially, it's if you just gather enough data, you can sift through it until you can get it to say stuff. And maybe the stuff is right, or maybe there is a legitimate correlation there. But if you don't try to measure a specific data set with a specific intention, then it's not really useful for drawing accurate conclusions. And so what all of this says to me is that unless they have some specific intentions in mind with this data that we don't know anything about, at best, they will learn the wrong lessons because they're going to look at things and they're going to say, ah, this, you know, this, uh, people who play this game tend to behave this way in chat or tend to have these spending patterns. So if we do this thing, we'll get them more likely to spend money. And that may or may not be true because, because they don't have the context for why people who play a specific type of game are more, are more likely to spend you know, X number of dollars on a microtransaction. Yeah, but the, you're also got to consider that they might also be doing some A uh, to B testing as well on top of this. Yeah, they, they might be. They absolutely could be. But, you know, this type of thing, like, yes, they are certainly gathering a lot of our data. Some of it with our permission, some of it without. Most of it, nobody has any clue which is which, right? Because like you said, nobody reads their EULAs. Um, but... Unless there's some specific goals in mind in the background, all they're doing is churning out data with pointless correlations. And they will learn some bad lessons, and they will stumble into some good ones. And we'll find out in five years, you know, what they've actually decided or thought is useful, and what they care to listen to the public about, and what they continue to push through. The, the, The genie is out of the bottle. On this, I, I have heard many people, especially in the last couple of years, um, two or three years, and you know, 
but you know covid and obviously all of my stuff is us centric cuz i live in the united states but you know with covid and the 2020 presidential election and you know misinformation and disinformation and propaganda and like so many people in the last couple of years have been like oh i don't want you know so and so to have my data too late it's done you know the genie is out of the bottle unless you have a phone, you... right do what do you not have phones right do you not have phones so unless you have very very strictly controlled every aspect of your life and somehow managed to not overlook anything at all for years and never made a single mistake the genie is out of the bottle and we are going this is just the world now and we're gonna see you know as they as as companies both in gaming and out collect more and more data what kind of conclusions they draw and what type of products they try to sell us and how they try to do it and how they work to manipulate us with advertising i mean there's there's a bunch of stories um for various companies um and and i mean these are true stories they're not urban legends they're not anecdotes these are true stories like i've seen the research papers on them i've seen the case studies where that for example target or um walmart or you know another large store that collects data on its customers all the time have figured out that someone is pregnant or has a medical condition before the person themselves knew it or had revealed this information to other people in their family and sent them targeted advertising. Um, you know, the one that sticks out the most in my mind was there was this teenager who was pregnant and she was looking at stuff at target and she bought a couple of things that indicated she was pregnant and target, you know, sent some targeted ads to this lady's house and her dad got them in, in the mail and called and complained like, why are you sending me all this stuff? Like, Nobody in my house is pregnant. And then the daughter was like, actually, I'm pregnant. You know, like, so these tools can be used to figure out very specific things about us. And it's kind of scary, but we don't know how they're going to play out yet. So just keep living in the world and hope for the best and prepare for the worst. I guess. It also depends on also... Are they going to start running little scientific experiments with their player bases? Yeah, touring them off, let's say, matchmaking, for example, in a multiplayer game, and seeing how that reacts, right? Oh, yeah, I mean, hasn't that already been a thing, uh, the, or there, was there's talked been, about the, as a there, thing? There were some patents, uh, was it EA that was talking about it? Uh, I think it was try- EA, yeah. Uh, uh, trying to... If I recall correctly, it was somebody that had a lot of cosmetics being more likely to be put into a uh, a, a pl- multiplayer match with people that have fewer cosmetics than them to try to goad them into, ooh, that person looks so shiny. Let me uh, fork over some money. Yeah. I-, I could be mistaken on EA, but right. Yeah, I mean, it definitely feels like something EA would do. And I, my brain is telling me, yeah, like, yes, EA, but, I, you know, we could be wrong. But that definitely was a story that happened last year or two years ago, maybe. So as they get more information to be able to run yeah, these psychological experiments, boy, this is starting to feel a lot like the Fallout vaults, huh? 
<laughs> yes. Conspiratorial thinking, but it's like, is it a conspiracy if it's true? I mean, it can be a conspiracy. Like, you know, like it, it feels conspiratorial, but like the, these are realistic scenarios that have played out in our world, in our society before and will again. So, yeah, those are those are my thoughts on it. I, I do want to say, like, I think these things can be used for good. And within the system, there will be good faith actors who try to use the data for good. Yeah, but, but gaming companies, no. No, but not gaming companies. They or, or, or at least the major ones. That's the thing, is that it'll be interesting to see some of the indie companies, uh, or some of the more indie developers, if they start doing this, where they go with it. Yeah. Because can you imagine a... uh, uh uh, a game that features heavy procedural generation that uh, goes more into uh, uh, using the information that it derives from a player, like a horror game, to fuck with you. Oh, that sounds like my worst nightmare. Like, I don't like I, that. Well, 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 that's just the first thing that kind of jumped to my mind. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, find a horror game that. Yeah, you know, puts in little triggers here and there and notices, oh, uh, this player didn't look at the spiders that much. Here, let me put some more spiders in. Mm. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> no, thank you. That's not a game I will be playing. Or a first-person shooter that... A story-based one, or yeah, a single-player-focused one, I should say, uh, that uses the player's a- actions and how they play to tune uh, the AI to play more responsibly against them. There, uh, there hasn't really been a lot of focus on, at least uh, as far as I could recall, a improvement on AI for quite a while. So something using player data could be interesting on that one. But yeah. also could require a lot more effort than a lot of these game developers seem to want to put in. I mean, we're looking at games where, you know, several years down the road, after several DLC expansions, so well, the game's not bad. Yeah, the game's not bad anymore on its own. And we are obviously looking at, you know, kind of pie-in-the-sky, you know, hopeful uses of this uh, particular technology. Yeah. I mean, we can all imagine the bad ways that it can, and probably ultimately will be used for the you know but it's harder to think of the good things so we can speculate on the good things more and all be like mm, yep that's gonna gonna go go wrong somehow but anyways i digress uh yeah i don't think i have anything else to say do you have anything else to say uh not really but i've completed all my pings oh <laughs> uh, yeah i haven't checked on mine go um uh, about halfway through the list um, let's I mean, see. I mean, obviously, Asian ones are standing out, but uh, my best one looks like it's still East One, cloud storage and uh, compute, or both in the fifties. Oh no, Central got- uh, Central actually is better for me. Uh, it's thirty-seven uh, for a median. Nice. I don't have any in the in the thirties. I've got a handful in the 40s, 
a few in the like 60s to 70s range, and then we're hitting like triple digits. Yeah, so assuming, of course, that you know, the stadium would be running on like Central One, uh, you know, it would actually be somewhat playable for me. Assuming, of course, you know, that's a stable thing, but uh, looks like. Yeah, it looks like it's somewhat stable, but, you know, this is only a handful of tests. Yeah. And it does look like I get l- low download speeds from that as well, so... Ugh. So, do we want to doobly-doo? It is just past midnight. Yeah, I've been... I've been... And we got a late start. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been struggling. I'm... Yeah, I, I had the cat wake me up in the middle of the night kicking me in the head. Yeah, I mean, I'm still dealing with some my post. What's what's a fun way to call it instead of just saying like my post COVID problems? Uh, yeah, I, I got nothing. Um, as usual. Yeah. So I'm, I'm you, you know, I'm starting to fall apart a little bit. Uh, like, so if you wish my... to uh, send us any info, uh, any uh, community submitted stuff. You do so vglpodcast at gmail.com. Drop by the Discord, which you can find a link to that over at vglpodcast.podbean.com. Or you can tweet us vglpodcast on the Twitter. My my voice broke up there a little bit. I went, woo! I don't think it came <laughs> through. Um, <clears throat> uh, hey, Rage. Why don't you uh, hit him with them socials for you? Oh, I've been caffeine rage. You can find me sometimes uh, tweeting over at Gaming with CR, or if you wish to be my friend on Steam, you can do so. I'm Caffeine Rage is there, uh, there as well. And you've been? I have been me. I don't think I'm going to talk about the YouTubes yeah, you, anymore. Yeah, you've been COVIDlicious. Yep. Um, but the places where you can find me, obviously here, you're listening to me. You can find me tweeting at JMA4707. I tweet all kinds of things. Serious stuff, funny stuff, shit posts, retweets of sexy stuff sometimes. Um, I had a tweet earlier about this kid who was in my office today, and she was she was in there with her mom for some for some therapy stuff, and she just kept asking me questions about my laptop because I take my my gaming laptop to work and I use that for work stuff and then play in my downtime. She was like that's a pretty neat laptop you got there. I'm like, yeah, thanks. So, uh, you know, it's my gaming laptop. She's like, oh, I, I play video games sometimes. How much did it cost? And her mom was sitting there and like her jaw like dropped like, oh my gosh, I can't believe my kid asked. And she made the eyes of like, and held her hands up like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, oh, it was like 800 bucks. I bought it secondhand on eBay. Like, and then I did some work to, you know, clean it up, applied some thermal paste and, and like this, you know, this kid was eating it up. Like she's very definitely a nerd at heart. And I'm not sure if the mom was more appalled at the girl for asking questions about money or for me as an adult for just engaging that conversation with her. I don't get people who are weird about discussing money. I I think that's a taboo that needs to like die in our society because it, it only helps the people who are in charge of things it, when we don't talk about finances and what we get paid and, and things like that. Like it only hurts us to not be open about that stuff. Like I get, you know, don't give your bank account details to people. Don't like walk around being like, I got a thousand dollars in cash in my pocket. Cause you'll get shot. But 
you know, whenever someone asks a question like that, just ask, answer honestly. I digress. I, I tweeted about that today. Um, you can also find me if you want to see me doing tape stuff. Uh, I participate in two t- uh, tabletop games that get streamed on Twitch. Um, over at twitch.tv slash runic arts, I play uh, a sadistic vampire man and I'm running a Battletech tabletop game. Yeah, but what's your character? <laughs> a fat, sadistic vampire man. So really, I'm just playing myself with vampire powers. Because I don't, I don't have any real-life vampire powers. That comes on the next COVID booster shot I get. That's my vampire powers. Uh, see, I'm, I'm just here hoping to become Magneto. <laughs> right. Gonna, um, uh, t- gonna take a bucket and you know cut it out for my helmet. Get a cape. You'd look good in a cape. Yeah, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, makes me think of the Scatman song. I don't know why. I'm a Scatman. Yeah, but we've learned it's no capes. No capes. It's a good movie. Anyways, yeah, that's those are my socials. With a little story yeah. thrown in. And completely off the rails, which is about normal for us. Which is but really on to, the rails. Which, if you wish to tell just to how off the rails we've gone, you can do so at podcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, game-related topics. Tweet uh, at podcast or drop by the Discord. You find a link to that, as well as all our other, all our other stuff. Over at vglpodcast.podbean.com. And if you used to spread the love, you can find us on your podcatcher of choice. Our lovely, lovely patrons have made this madness possible. You can find out more at patreon.com slash vglpodcast. Our intro and outro music is on the ground by Ken McLeod. You can find his work over at incompetech.com. And as always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice, bye bye now. See you next time. Bye-bye.